I have to begin with a prayer. I didn't know you were going to begin with a prayer. That's fine. But um, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Come, Holy Spirit, renew our hearts, renew your church, renew the face of the earth. Come through Mary. Um, I like that you said this is about the Holy Spirit. And uh, I invoke him frequently, and that's just my favorite sequence of uh, prayers to the Holy Spirit. Um, thank you for inviting me tonight. Um, my story is very different than um, Julie's, although I'm a cancer survivor too, twice. Um, uh, my adventure began, it's a little bit, little bit different, um, last summer, um, very unexpectedly. I'm um, a wife, a mom, a grandmother, have been um, a stay-at-home mother and grandmother for the last um, long time. Um, relatively new to the parish here, um, a year and a half, and much of my family lives in the neighborhood. So I was kind of just enjoying getting to know Park Ridge. Um, last summer, my husband came home from a board meeting. He's um, on several boards, but one of the boards is a charitable uh, not-for-profit organization called the Port Ministries on the south side of Chicago. And he came home from his board meeting, and like any other board meeting, he kind of started, you know, empty the pockets, empty the briefcase. And I said, oh, so how was your meeting tonight? He said, oh, we had a good meeting. I said, oh, nice. Well, anything special happened? Any news? Because, I mean, I really know most of the people involved. I know the board members well. And he said, oh, yeah, we, we, um, we have our new executive director. New executive director has been chosen, and um, the board has approved approved it, and you know everyone's real happy about it. I said, "Great! Who's the new executive director? Do I know him?" He says, "Yeah, yeah, you know him. It's you." And that's how I came to be the executive director of Port Ministries. Of course, when he first said that, I thought it was a joke, and I said, "Oh, good joke. That's very funny." Um, if it's confidential and you can't tell me until you okay it with the new director, that's fine, I'll wait. At which point he pulled his tie off, turned around, and said, no, it's not a joke. You're the new executive director. Uh -huh. And I just kind of looked at him. And like in that silent moment, there was something in me, I mean verbally I said, no way. <laughs> um, but in that silent moment I knew that this was true, that this was going to happen, and that um, it was right. Although, I don't even know if he's here tonight because he was still at work. I never admitted that I knew then that it was right because I had to object and um, complain for a while before I let him know that I was accepting it. Um, yeah, our humanity, isn't it great? The thing that was, that I found strange in thinking about this the next day and in several days, and here I am still six months later, and it kind of amazes me, is that when I accepted this, and I stood there with the two of us with no words, I thought that I was accepting this in obedience. Um, not so much obedience to him, but I recognized in what had happened here, you know, considering this board that I knew, and my husband, whom I know, and, you know, we've been together 36 years, something like that. And I recognized the hand of God, if you will. So even though it was what my husband was saying, I really felt that it was what God was saying to me in that moment, that I've chosen you, the Lord's chosen you for this. 
Um, I always think how St. Paul gets such a bum rap. You know, the, the young brides today don't want to read, wives obey your husbands, you know. Husbands love your wives. Wives obey your husbands. And yet, it really is how God, um, I believe, you know, sanctifies us in our marriage. And uh, just too often I have experienced, um, through my husband's actions or words or directions, um, you know, a great grace of God. And it's only that it's something I, I might experience in retrospect. I can look back and say, ah, this truly was, you know, um, a gift through him. And I think, um, I hope that my kids and uh, will appreciate their spouses in that way. But it's something you come, I think, that comes to you with time. Um, so anyhow, I kind of found myself here. I'm a North Sider. Um, before being in Park Ridge, I was in Winnetka for 30 years. So the prospect of going to, you know, the southwest side of Chicago, back in the Yards neighborhood, I, you know, 50 some hundred south, I was like, oh, I'm a Cubs fan, that's Sox territory. Um, you know, how could I, I'm a north side or anything south of Soldier Field is southern Indiana. I, it, was, it was just, you know, trying to get my head around this. Um, I, um, I had a very interesting first week on the job. The, uh, the place was, um, there was a lot to get my head around. It's, Port Ministries is 25 year old Franciscan outreach. It's not-for-profit. It um, has six very active ministries happening um, in, in our, our one campus. Um, to give you an idea of what goes on there, we have a bread truck. Um, I go to bread truck. It, it, we serve meals off the back of this truck every day. Six days a week, approximately 300 meals a day, which amounts to about 100,000 meals per year are served. And the most amazing thing is we don't spend a penny on food. Um, everything comes to us uh, providentially through the generosity and goodness of people. We have a free clinic that's open three days a week. Again, staffed entirely by volunteers, physicians, nurses, um, medical students, um, volunteer receptionists even. We have a home visiting team. We visit 45 homebound people in the neighborhood. It used to be an old Polish neighborhood. And um, a lot of them can no longer get out of their homes, they're elderly, they're in apartments, the neighborhood is not safe. Uh, some have gone to uh, nearby, nearby nursing homes, they're visited over there also. We bring food, we bring pastries, um, goodies, visit. Um, we have classes, we teach ESL, GED, and computer proficiency to the neighborhood. About 60% of our clients, the people we serve, are Hispanic families, and about 40% are African American. Uh, the neighborhood is kind of changing. There's there's quite a demarcation. Unfortunately, though, it is still really the poorest. Um, I think of the poor neighborhoods in Chicago. Almost 99% of the kids, um, at like as high as you go statistically, they're all at the poverty level. Um, we also do after school tutoring, and we have a gymnasium where they can play, and the little ones love it because um, they can get on the court. Um, what I learned the first week is the most important thing about the port is that we're neutral gang territory. Uh, my first week I walked in, it was August, it was hot, we don't have air conditioning. It's Franciscan, we live as the poor do. We eat the poor, we eat the food that they eat, they don't have air conditioning, we don't have air conditioning. Um, I came in and one of the staff grabbed her head and said, oh my gosh, what are you wearing? You can't wear that here. I was like, what? I'm wearing 
jeans. I had on black jeans. I had on a red polo shirt, short sleeves with a collar. And she says, those are the absolute worst colors you can wear in this neighborhood. It's the worst gang. You're going to get shot. And I, you know, a little reality check here. And I said, no, no, there's no way they will mistake me for a gangbanger down here. And she said, no, no. She said, they've been, the shootings have been bad. And they just shoot at the colors. They don't bother looking. I dismissed it. For the record, there has never in the 25-year history of the port been an incident of any violence, gun, knife, or otherwise, in our buildings or on our property, on our campus. Um, I think that's a testimony to the respect that the gangs and um, the neighborhood has for the work that the Franciscans and all of our staff are trying to do there. But I do have to admit that when I left that evening, and I was parked out in front instead of in our lot, and as I was putting the key in the door, I could hear a car coming down the street behind me, and I swear it was slowing down. And I remember thinking with the key in the door, like, oh my gosh, Lord, is this it? Was this my warning this morning? I really almost thought I could get shot right now. But the amazing thing in retrospect, again, we always recognize grace in retrospect. Um, well, not always, but I do. Maybe it's a little slow. Um, it was... There was this great peace and calm. And it was like, is this it? It was like a question. And I, I can remember looking at the key, but not really looking at the key, looking at God. And, you know, thinking, thinking, oh, my husband's not going to be happy about this. <laughs> and, um, and then the car just kind of, you know, continued by. Obviously, I'm here and I have no gunshot wounds. Um, After about a week and a half, we had our first staff meeting. I had a very um, interesting revelation during the staff meeting because I invited my husband, who was the president of the board, to come and address the staff. It was kind of the new year. They'd had their big meetings. And during that meeting, I learned that I was not the first choice as executive director <laughs> for the board. Now, uh, and my husband told the entire staff, he said, and Mary does not know that she was not the first choice as um, the executive director. She's learning that right now. I remember sitting there and thinking, hmm. At first I was a little annoyed, but what really happened was, is I was incredibly relieved. It was like, yes, this is great. This is a great grace that was the sign to me, the final sign to me, that this was God's work, that I really belonged here. And that I knew, I mean, I knew that I was perfectly capable of this, I knew there was something there where, you know, we'll get past all of the, the distance and the time. I don't like the commute. I don't. There's a lot of things that are difficult, um, but it is just an incredible grace to be there and to work there. And once I um, realized this, I really felt kind of humbled. Not because I wasn't humiliated or embarrassed by it, but I was humbled because that was in many ways the moment that I really clearly saw the hand of God. First was my husband, you know, God keeps reminding us, or maybe it's just that I need lots of reminders, or I forget quickly from his last, um, his last example, his last bit of evidence to me. And over the next few days he gave me um, a few more very telling examples of what the place is. I was trying to understand but what's the most important thing about the port. The port, P-O-R-T is not really, you think of safe harbor, 
which is what it is. The place is really an oasis. Um, it's what I would call, a, it's an oasis in, um, it's a mission, it's an urban mission. You don't have to go to Haiti, you don't have to go to South America or Africa. There are mission, there is mission territory in Chicago, and that's where I go every day to work. Um, it is work, but it's a work of, um, it's a work of love. You know, the whole purpose is to be there, to be this loving presence in this neighborhood. And when I was doubting it, one day I came to work, pulled up in front of the place, and we're about seven city lots wide, our property. And down the block were three um, of our African-American kids walking to school. And the little one waved and then started running toward me. And he has to be about five years old. So he came running down the six lots with the backpack bouncing on his back. He threw his arms around my waist, because that's about how tall he was, and he put his head on me, and then he stepped back and he asked me about one of our staff. Does she live here? I said, no, she doesn't live here, but she comes every day to take care of you. And then he nodded a minute, and he threw his arms around me again. I gave him a hug, and he ran back down the street to join his older siblings backpack bouncing on his way to school. And I didn't really know this student. I was new. I had seen him come in the front door of one of our buildings, so I knew he was coming, attending regularly the classes. And I understood in that moment what an important um, place this was within the community. Nowhere else could this little kid run down the block in the morning to get a hug, give a hug, um, and know he was safe. And when I related that to the staff who take care of him every day, the one who was a, um, a nun, she's Franciscan nun, Sister Sarah, in her 20s, she said to me, hmm, I'm going to have to talk to him about strangers. <laughs> so, um, you know, always thinking about the children, but they really are safe. And the, the port was really named after St. Francis Little Church in Assisi, the Port Siuncula. So it's port for short. And uh, it means little portion. And I always like to think that Port Ministries is a little bit of heaven on uh, the southwest side and the gang-infested, boarded-up territories um, that we have down there. Um, I think, let me see. It was funny, I said the evidence. I had to keep giving me evidence. As, as the weeks went on, it would, would strike me with great clarity that First of all, I didn't have fear. And maybe there have been a couple of instances when I should have been fearful. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be imprudent, you know, about anything. But um, I would say that it was a grace. I recognized the fear, particularly in the moment with the car going by. Um, the other thing is I've been amazed at the clarity I have been given in decision-making when uh, a difficult situation would present itself whether it's, you know, four mid-century buildings that are being maintained, what to do with the roof and the boiler, or whether it's, you know, what to do with a student or a curriculum or an organization who wants to do a documentary, but they don't really get our, um, our mission, that our mission is not living social justice, it's living the gospel, and that social justice is just the end result when one lives the gospel. Um, and I feel that, you know, this clarity has been a great grace to me. The other thing is I have a great peace about it. Uh, when I'm there, I'm just, I'm just happy. You really can't be anything but happy. 
and um, I consider these all signs that the good Lord has given me, and um, and probably the next time I begin to doubt, he'll, I'm sure, produce a few more. How are we in time? Questions? Okay. Um, does anyone have any questions? Can, can you share uh, the uh, incident of um, when you first started on and um, it had to do with motherhood and your oh, perception? Oh, okay, yes. It's actually, it's actually in the, um, I brought our, oh, excuse me, the, this was the newsletter. We do a quarterly newsletter and the new one isn't ready yet. But um, as they were writing my introduction, one of the things I had, I had written in there that what am I? I'm a mother, grandmother. I mean, I'm also a professional registered nurse, which is great for the clinic. I'm also a hospitaler for the Order of Malta in Illinois. And I've been very involved with many charitable organizations and sponsored um, and done many major fundraisers. And I have also chaired the committee that brought the Archdiocese to Lourdes a couple of years ago. So I'm no stranger to this type of work. Like I said, I'm really qualified. But I still consider myself a mother. Um, and I had written this in my um, biography, sort of. And our communications person handed me a draft of the newsletter, and in it he called, um, he called it my maternal, that they were enjoying my maternal style of leadership. And as I read that, this poor man started to apologize. He's like, well, uh, well you know, you can take that out if you want. You, you don't have, we don't have to say it's maternal. And I thought, how interesting. He meant this as a compliment to me about it being a maternal style of leadership. These are Franciscan guys. And, and yet he was concerned about offending me because he said I had a maternal style of leadership. And I thought, what has happened to us in this country that this poor man, you know, would consider something maternal as negative? I thought of Blessed Virgin. Didn't, didn't Jesus give the church Mary maternal leadership to help lead us all back through him? I mean, I always you pray for the Holy Spirit through Mary. Jesus came through Mary. Everything is, you know, through this maternal aspect. And I, um, it just really, really, um, really struck me. And so we left it in. It's in there. And um, I'm proud of it. I think of John Paul II's feminine genius. Um, it's, it's a gift, and motherhood, spiritual motherhood. Um, maybe it's the charism I bring to them. We teach a Montessori style in the morning. In the morning, when the when the parents are taking ESL classes, we watch the children and provide. Um, after school, um, they come with their homework. We have one-on-one -on -one mentoring usually because there's enough volunteers. You can give them the time, the attention, and we play games. We put them in the gym. Uh, they can't use the playgrounds because of the gangs. Um, and you know, and it could be dangerous, but they're safe with us. We have two minutes. Have any more questions? Yes. Uh, I'm somewhat aware of uh, the park ministry mm -hmm. and the challenges that mm -hmm. you and your organization face, mm -hmm. uh, not only daily but on a long-term basis. Um, I, w I was wondering. How your commitment to adoration assists you in your particular position? 
my commit, I'm an, an adorer here. I have a long history of um, Eucharistic adoration. I started in the parish I used to belong to. And at the port, we have a chapel um, on the grounds with the Eucharist, and, and every staff member has an hour during the week. Uh, it's part of your work day because the work at the port, it isn't really work, it's ministry. It's clear, clearly ministry. It really is living the gospel, and it all comes from prayer. So how does it influence me? I also have an hour here. Um, how does it influence me? It's a part of my life. I mean, it's, it's like morning mass. To me, it's, that was the, the first requisite of the job as well. I'll do this as long as I can still continue to go to mass every day. And, and even at, at the port, if there's something that prevents me from going to the morning mass, they know that I'm going to be gone early to be at an evening mass somewhere. Or that I'm going to cut out at noon and find a mass, you know, go into the city and find a new mass. There's, there's just no question about it, but for me that's probably the primary requisite. That and getting to confession every week, having the time to be able to go to confession. Um, without adoration, without Christ, without the Eucharist and Mass, it's, and it's everything. Does that answer your question? I think so. Okay. <laughs> I think I have questions. Yes? There is not catechism. We've talked about this. I mean, there's all the religious art, but the Franciscan spirituality is to preach the gospel and use words when necessary. So by the priests and the friars being there in their robes, um, you know, by our praying before snacks, praying before meals, uh, by the art on the walls, um, and just the way we talk and treat the kids, and you, you talk to them about those things. But there is no formal catechism taught. Um, our Hispanic families are mostly Catholic, but our black families are not Catholic. Okay? Thank you very much. Thank you.